0: Welcome back to Generation Invincible, a podcast on public health, healthcare policy, and social justice issues by a millennial for millennials, and anyone else that cares about the health and social problems facing our nation. I'm your host, Abigail Meller. A while back, I was scrolling through Facebook while waiting to get more lives on Candy Crush. It's an addiction, y'all. Don't download it. Anyways. I found this post which was a video of this cute little kid talking about vaccines and autism. Specifically, in the video he, who is a 12 year old from Mexico, compiled all of the evidence he could find linking vaccines and autism. He's adorable and he loves science and I kind of want to adopt him. So basically, he has this folder in the video and the folder says, evidence that vaccines cause autism. He opens the folder to start summarizing the information he has compiled, and each page is blank. This boy said it so, so well. I think it might be because there is absolutely no evidence to support the statement that vaccines are linked to autism in any way whatsoever. And now I have opened Pandora's box. I don't want to sound like a broken record. See episode last week regarding voter fraud. But let me be crystal clear. Vaccines do not cause autism, period. There is no proven statistical correlation, causation, or literally any connection besides speculation. But once upon a time, there was a man, Andrew Wakefield, that wanted everyone to believe that vaccines cause autism, and so he started a scientific study. In 1998, Andrew Wakefield and 11 other co-authors published a study with the unremarkable title, Ileal Lymphnoid Nodular Hyperplasia Nonspecific Colitis and Pervasive Developmental Disorder in Children. In other words, the study explored the connection between the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine, also known as the MMR vaccine, with autism and bowel disease. Before this, Wakefield published reports linking the measles virus with Crohn's disease and inflammatory bowel disease. However, nobody besides him could confirm or replicate this hypothesis and conclusion. Let me just say that in science and public health, it is widely known within the scientific community that many studies need to be replicated either under the same conditions or with different ones like different subjects, age groups, locations, cultures, etc. This is in order to prove that the original study's results are reliable and valid, to figure out the role of outside variables within the study, and to see if the original study's results can be applied to different situations. Basically, it is a core idea of proving the reliability of a scientific study. In Wakefield's case, after other scientists couldn't replicate it, a group of experts in Britain came together, reviewed a group of peer-reviewed studies, and concluded that there was no link between Crohn's disease and the measles vaccine or the MMR vaccine. Of course, he was given the chance to further prove his conclusion with a replicated study. It was even reported that he refused a request to validate it with a controlled study, which is where there are two groups used for comparison purposes. But let's take a few steps back. Most people know the story of the infamous Vaccines and Autism study and its negative ramifications on the world. But I'm going to tell you guys how it started, what happened, and how it ended as well as how vaccines are viewed today, a few reasons why they are definitely safe, and an explanation of why they are necessary. Um, On February 28th, 1998, the original paper written by Wakefield and 12 other authors about 12 children with autism was published in The Lancet, a scientific journal. The study focused on a new syndrome that the authors claimed to have uncovered, called autistic enterocolitis, which introduced the idea of a link between bowel disease, autism, and the MMR vaccine. The authors noted that the parents of eight of the 12 children linked what were described as behavioral symptoms with the MMR vaccine and reported that the onset of these symptoms began within two weeks of MMR vaccination. There was almost immediate reaction and controversy, with a special panel of the UK's Medical Research Council being convened within the next month. The paper only suggested a correlation, not necessarily causation also known as they're linked, but the link doesn't prove that one causes the other. Correlation alone does not equal causation in statistics, ever. However, before the paper was published, Wakefield had made multiple statements calling for the postponement of the use of the MMR vaccine until further research had been done. Supposedly, this tactic of science by press conference was really what caused the uproar towards the MMR vaccine, rather than the paper itself alone. If only he had stopped there. After leaving the Royal Free Hospital, Andrew Wakefield moved to the United States and continued to do research on the link between the MMR vaccine and autism. In February of 2004, five years after the original study was published, the Sunday Times reported that the parents of the 12 children from the study had actually been recruited by a lawyer who was working on a lawsuit against MMR manufacturers. Additionally, the hospital that Wakefield worked at and that sponsored the research at the time, the Royal Free Hospital, had received £55,000, which translates to about $71,000. This money came from the UK's legal aid board to pay for the research. As a result of these allegations, Wakefield was charged by the UK General Medical Council with ethical violations and scientific misconduct. One day before this information was published, The Lancet made a public statement saying that Wakefield's research was, quote, fatally flawed, and published a retraction signed by 10 of the 12 co-authors of the study. This was already a horrible case of scientific misconduct. And as if it wasn't enough, the revelations continued. In November 2004, a TV investigation revealed that Wakefield had applied for a patent on a single jab vaccine, a.k.a. one vaccine that covers multiple types of vaccination, like the MMR vaccine, before he started his research against the MMR vaccine. In this patent, he proposed a single-job vaccination for Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, as well as regressive behavioral disease. This is basically another term for autism. At the end of 2006, it was found that Wakefield also personally received over 400,000 pounds from the lawyers in charge of the MMR lawsuit. Wakefield's motives starting to seem fishy to you? Good, because they were. Between July 2007 and May 2010, a hearing of the UK General Medical Council reviewed charges against Wakefield and two of his colleagues, the two that didn't sign their attraction letter in The Lancet. These charges included being paid to conduct the study by lawyers representing parents who thought the MMR vaccine had harmed their child, unreasonably ordered procedures like colonoscopies, colon biopsies, and spinal taps, which are very invasive, on the subjects without approval from his department's ethics board and against the clinical interests of the children, quote, acted dishonestly and irresponsibly when not disclosing how the patients were recruited, did the study in a way that was not approved by the hospital's ethics board, purchased blood samples from the children at his child's birthday party, and, quote, showed callous disregard for any distress or pain the children might suffer. According to the medical records of the children involved, there was further proof disproving the authenticity and reliability of the study. For example, three of the nine children reported with regressive autism didn't have autism at all, and only one child total had regressive autism. While they were all reported to be, quote, previously normal, Five of them had pre-existing medical conditions. For nine subjects with originally no problems in the results from a colonic histopathology, after a medical research review from a medical school, they were changed to being diagnosed with nonspecific colitis. The parents of eight children had reported blaming the MMR vaccine, but actually 11 total had made this allegation. However, when the three families were excluded, It made the data appear that there was a two-week link between the vaccine and onset of symptoms. Okay, deep breath. Obviously, this study that is often attributed as being evidence to the link between autism and the MMR vaccine is straight-up garbage. But it has had an incredible and horrifying ripple effect within the medical community. According to the New York Times, quote, Andrew Wakefield has become one of the most reviled doctors of his generation, blamed directly and indirectly, depending on the accuser, for irresponsibly starting a panic with tragic repercussions. Vaccination rates so low that childhood diseases, once all but eradicated here, whooping cough and measles among them, have re-emerged, endangering young lives. So, we know that the roots of the anti vaccine movement are originally based on lies, and that there are still concerns today about vaccine safety. But there shouldn't be, and I'll tell you why. For one, not only is the idea that vaccines cause autism unproven, but there is hard evidence that shows why and how there is no link between the two at all. For example, A 2013 CDC-controlled study concluded that the number of antigens, which are the things in vaccines that cause your immune system to produce disease-fighting antibodies, from vaccines within the first two years was the same for children with autism and without autism. And yet, there's still concern about vaccines and their ingredients. One ingredient in particular that has caused concern and controversy is the Marisol. Its purpose in vaccines is to prevent the growth of dangerous bacteria and fungi. It is used both as a preservative for flu vaccines to keep it free from contamination, as well as a form of prevention against the growth of microbes during the manufacturing process. Thimerosal does contain mercury, which is where the concern arises. In 1999, the U.S. Public Health Service recommended removing thimerosal as a preservative to reduce mercury exposure to infants, but solely as a precautionary measure. Even so, it has been found since then that there is no evidence that the mercury in thimerosal is a cause for autism. Right now, thimerosal is only contained in flu vaccines because it's a preservative that's necessary for producing enough vaccines for everybody. The other main concern about vaccines is the schedule recommended by the CDC for vaccinating children. I'm not gonna try and summarize the schedule in words, but the CDC has a really great graphic that shows what vaccines should be given to babies at what times. Almost all vaccines should be given before 18 months, according to the CDC. And while many parents don't believe in not vaccinating, they are getting nervous about giving so many vaccines within a short period of time and decide to space out the schedule for their child's vaccines. This is also really bad. First of all, It directly goes against what the CDC recommends, which is backed by more facts, statistics, and studies than I can list. It also probably goes against what your doctor is saying, although many doctors will give in when a parent wants to space out. But doctors giving in to patient demands despite it being bad for them is another story. There are a lot of reasons that you should not space out vaccines. For one, the child's vulnerability to disease is prolonged. This is especially bad because these preventable diseases are particularly dangerous for very young children. Also, the added number of visits to the doctor's office can develop fear and trauma for the child while also exposing the child to additional infections just by walking into the doctor's office so many times. And since this schedule is done by the parent and not a medical professional, there is a higher likelihood that the medical staff may miss a vaccination or repeat one. And most importantly, there is no evidence base for the benefit of spacing out vaccinations for children. None. Zippo. Like I said, you are basically choosing your own opinion over that of your doctor. The doctor who went to medical school probably sees hundreds of kids and keeps them healthy, and most likely, unless you also went to medical school, straight up knows better than you do on this topic. Lastly, those that choose not to vaccinate need to understand the risks of that choice for their children as well as literally every other person the child ever comes in contact with. At the very minimum, the child is still at risk for the diseases he or she is not immunized against because many of them are not fully eradicated in this world and still circulate. You don't hear about them that often, but that's because most people are vaccinated against them. There's a social responsibility associated with vaccinating children, which again, at the very least, includes informing the child's daycare, school, doctor, caregivers, and other family members, basically everyone the child comes in contact with, on their vaccination status. The very most that vaccinating your child can do is contribute to herd or community immunity. Basically, the more people that are vaccinated, the less opportunity a disease has to create an outbreak and spread. This should not be understood as an excuse to not vaccinate, but rather as contributing to your community by protecting those who are not able to get vaccinated. This includes infants that are too young to be vaccinated, pregnant women, and people with immune diseases. In the end, people in the United States are extremely privileged to be able to make informed choices about medicine. If you're able to access that medicine at all, that is. Doctors want you to ask questions, because it's becoming increasingly more popular and encouraged within public health for everyone to be educated on their medical decisions. This doesn't mean you should dispute the recommendation by your doctor but that you should ask questions and do your research from reliable sources so you fully understand what is happening and why it is necessary. Vaccine safety will always be a concern within the medical community. Not because vaccines aren't safe now, but because doctors and scientists are constantly looking for ways to eliminate even the smallest risk and make vaccines easier to access and more effective but vaccines for the foreseeable future are the most effective tool that we have for preventing disease and improving public health. To submit feedback about Generation Invincible, ask questions, make suggestions for future episodes, or if you just want someone to listen to what you have to say, email generationinvincible at gmail.com. Please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, and of course, share with your friends. Find Generation Invincible online on Tumblr. And until next time, in the words of Dr. Seth Berkley, for just a few dollars a dose, vaccines save lives and help reduce poverty. Unlike medical treatment, they provide a lifetime of protection from deadly and debilitating disease. They are safe and effective. They cut healthcare and treatment costs, reduce the number of hospital visits, and ensure healthier children, families, and communities. P-p-p-p.